day we hoistling at Pilots and Pictards Podcast. Welcome back, hoisters, to the Pilots and Petards Podcast. The podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. Quick disclaimer, listeners. Petard is a word. It is a real word. And petards are bombs. We will be tackling mostly new series each Monday with the occasional throwback pilot. All of our listeners are invited to follow our blog and participate in our pre-recording discussion. Our episodes will be broken into four parts, with the first part being mostly spoiler-free. Mo. Oh, oh, you're calling me out? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Petard's throne. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, and part, part two will be a more in-depth look at the pilot, i.e. I'm free to roam and give spoilers. And part three will wander outside the pilot to any dangling threads of interest. And part four is the fun part. You can go to our website to learn more. And that's it. So let's start the show. <laughs> so this is this is Drew. I'm the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast. And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. And I'm the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and of course, the spoilers. We would like to thank today's sponsors, Styrofoam, making your <laughs> listening much better. So thanks, Styrofoam, for that ad-free <laughs> listening. Styrofoam kind of has a bad rep, but it's, you know, it's out there. And also, here's a, here's a fuck you to Crooked Media, okay? We don't like your podcast ads during your podcast, and we don't like some of your podcasts, so... You know, if if this is our first feud, if this heats things up, if this pushes us up the iTunes download list, so be it. And if you want to contact us to sponsor a show with your product, or if you want us to slander a rival, we're fine with either of those. Yes, contact us to slander a rival. I, I really miss our pretend um, commercials. You miss the pretend I commercials, do. Mo? We can bring them back. <laughs> well, I, Mo, I love sponsor those. a show and, we, and, you, and you can toss in a fake ad. <laughs> all right, all right. I have to think of a really good one first before I can uh, go there. There you go. Well, great. That's a good way to start. So join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the ambitious sci-fi adventure series Altered Carbon will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. And folks, welcome to part one, the spoiler feed background, intro, and evaluation of the quality of the pilot. So Jimbo, why don't you start us off with your background? I may have been the first person to to discuss doing this pilot. I just saw the ads on Netflix and then I did notice it had a woman writer. So that that was why I chose it, but and then just for a little more background, the series is based off of a novel with the same title from an English author. Okay. So it's adapted by a woman. She created the idea for the series and then wrote the first episode and then they looked like they canned her ass after that. She did not write the second and third episode that Oh, that's it's not uncommon for showrunners to write no, the pilot I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, the rest of the series, but yeah, she's Greek and her name is really Greek. It's like Letras Kyrgyzis, like it's, so many consonants next to each other. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, some I's and L's. It was it was cool though. I mean, I imagine. Uh, so my background is this looked cool. I put it on my queue, and then I never followed through and watched it. Yeah, I'm the same as you, Drew. I actually had a long flight planned and i downloaded a bunch of the episodes on netflix like you know you can do that on netflix and then i never watched it mostly i get weirded out watching things that i have a feeling are going to have a lot of nudity and violence when i'm on a plane this had those things and it did have those things so i'm glad i followed my instincts i ended up watching sherlock 
So that's our background, and I can take us into our two-sentence summary. And so here it is. Um, Takashi Kovach is a pseudo-philosophical cyberpunk of the future who's been uh, on in cortical sack ice for three centuries until this rich dude thaws him out to solve his own murder. How will he adjust to the future that he died to prevent? Tune in to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap. And so now we're going to talk about some show notes, some high points, some low points, and those things in between. And Mo, why don't you start us off with what stuck out with you the most from this pilot? It's undeniable to watch this and not give credit to the graphics and all of the technology that was used to reflect what the future looked like. I have no idea how far into the future this is, but people are living on planets. People use the word galaxy. The United States isn't a place anymore. So one thing that stuck out to me, which I found interesting, was when everyone was speaking their own respective languages. So I'm assuming in the future, everyone just knows all the languages. I'm not sure. But I thought that was really cool. I'm going to jump in now. And, and uh, you know, and this might be a common, we have low highs and high lows. But I thought that was a low point. I, I I felt like they dropped the ball on that. It was cool to see all those languages being being used, but it didn't really seem like any rhyme or reason to them. They just kind of it's like randomly threw in a sentence in another language, and it didn't for me. There wasn't really a purpose behind that besides just like, oh, look at the future. Everybody knows every language. Well, I mean, I would say it does that, but I would also say it's connective tissue between the two time periods. Because the main guy who is played by two different actors does speak the same language to himself and to other people. And it kind of seemed like people understood other languages, but that, yeah, like Mo said, people kind of stuck to maybe what they had like learned at home, but other people understood it anyway. I have been turned off a little bit by futuristic shows or sci-fi shows trying to like, you know, force in a language or like make it kind of happen. This one, I think, did it fine. And then it didn't like pull me out of the story yeah it just set the scene a little bit where the cultural divides are a little bit different i would have rather seen it like this like maybe maybe the the detective ortega she doesn't express her anger well in english so then she starts speaking spanish when she's really pissed off or maybe she decides to speak in german or french when she wants to be more logical or something like that and i didn't get that point at all it just seemed like a random just toss in a sentence every here and there just like sprinkling like culture in there kind of seemed like the partner in the past did speak russian when she was upset yeah you're right and he understood her we'll come back to to, to some of these things in part two but to bounce back to to mo's comment about the visuals i thought the visuals were excellent i would say i i had watched this pilot from my laptop but when i watched star wars from my laptop, like a new Star Wars movie, not not the originals, or if I'm watching like an Avengers movie from my laptop, this to me looked like the same quality of special effects as an Avengers or Marvel or Star Wars movie. Yeah, this was really good special effects, especially for Netflix, especially for like streaming kind of on-demand original content. Nothing looked like a soundstage and nothing looked too like poorly CGI. Like there's a difference between like direct-to-video CGI and like, yeah, like Jimbo saying Star Wars CGI. This definitely seemed more like motion picture shown in a theater CGI. I liked it. Yeah, agreed. And then even just just to build on that, there uh there were some really fun action scenes. I'm going to I'm going to transition the action scenes into a low point as well, but the action scenes were really well well done. I think a lot of fans are going to like that the most. A little MVP talk, but it's okay. I can reinterpret. 
Oh, my bad, dude. Okay, let's let's move on, man. All right, I can I can kind of piggyback on Moe's as both a high and a low point, but in terms of casting, um, nothing is gonna be hurt by getting some Hamilton alums in there. So Renee Elise Goldsberry was definitely a high point. She's very talented. She was also in that Sisters movie. I think like Tina Fey, or maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I think it was the Sisters movie, but she's cool. She pops up in things. She's a working actress. She's wonderful. There's characters that are played by multiple actors. She was Fal- Faulkner? No, Falconer. Sorry, Falconer. Falconer. It's not a last name. It's like, it's a cool code name, dude. But it was cool, you know? And like, she was, she was a highlight. Like, she's a really cool, accomplished actress. And this show is, this show is kind of funny. Cause like, they were kind of going for like a post-racial pan-national society with like the different languages. But it also kind of seemed like people were of their ethnicity, but everyone else kind of understood all the other ethnicities. So like, it was a multiracial show, but it brings me back to a low point that for a show that was so like post-racial and like pan-national, um, it did just really focus on like a white dude lead, you know? And so it still kind of reminded me of like a lot of action tropes and action genres. So I don't know, it kind of like seemed like it wanted to straddle this line, but it ended up still being kind of stereotypical of the genre. What do you guys think? I felt the same with the pilot. I'm, I'm not going to, well, spoiler, I'm probably not going to find out, but I wonder if, if he's the lead the whole first season, because I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Asian actor also got a decent amount of playtime in some of those episodes as well. Well, the Asian actor looked cool. And like, the thing is, why isn't Joel Kinnaman, the guy in the past and the Asian actor is wandering around now? Like that's a story. That's a choice they could have made. That was my same complaint. I have, I have an idea of how they could have easily fixed that for, for my viewing pleasures. But uh, Mo, sorry, I cut you off. I mean, the opening scene was surprising having, you know, an Asian male lead being this like sexy in like a sexy setting. Like it just started off straight up shower sex. And I, I know that at least my male Asian friends said they always talk about the desexualization of Asian men on television. So to start with that, I was really excited and was like, okay, look at edgy. But then, he became this ter- stereotypical twelve pack white dude, and <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't upset at his twelve pack, but I noticed it was a it was a twelve pack with a V. He had that deep V. Yeah, he had. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was just he was just a straight up dude, bro. And this and this is gonna <laughs> get to like the you know the low point comment that I was saying. I think they could have solved this issue is if is if the is if the envoys would have been like a minority group and if and if they would have brought him back as this like white dude beefcake just to spite him and they could have easily tossed in like a racial slur to prove that the rich guy made him a white guy to kind of like show his dominance over him or something like that like any like that could have been so easy to to develop justified giving the white guy the lead which maybe that's not a good thing but i mean i don't want to say it was a, it wasn't a factor but like i think it was meant to be more symbolic or more like post-race culture I feel like it was i don't know i mean i don't know what they were trying to say or do but it makes me feel like they were trying to say or do something yeah i think that they're trying to find an issue that's that's outside of race and maybe they'll develop it better in the next episodes but it definitely comes off strange like i think in this day and age it's really difficult for viewers not not to key in on that he was asian and now he's white and this guy's playing the role Unless it's what the book had. Yeah, I guess. But even still, I mean, like, more than likely that, you know, they're not going to just do a cookie cutter of the book. No one does that. No, definitely. I agree. One of you said it. It was a conscious choice. Yeah, I think, I think it was a conscious choice. And 
you can applaud like their choices up to a point, but still it kind of just ends up being tropey and not, not in a good fun, nostalgic way, more like in a, you know, we could go past this. What I think Drew, you were mentioning that you thought it was a little bit stereotypical of the genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, futuristic sci-fis like this are super overdone and I think they did a good job at doing a different take on what the future might look like and the technology and with the corneal things and the cortical sacs and, I thought there was a little bit of a different, interesting spin on it that isn't as usual. No, it's cool. I like that mode because, like, something that I get in, like, fantasy and sci-fi is, like, I want the rules to make sense. It's not going to make total sense because it's fantasy because it's, like, way out there. But, like, if everything is possible, like, you know, nothing matters. And this show does create some stakes. So I get what you're saying. I think it's cool that, you know, the show kind of establishes, like, this is our universe and these are our rules. Yeah, exactly. Well, when do we do we want to talk about the Raven Hotel scene? Because me and Jimbo both have it as a high point. There's a really fun scene that that pays tribute to Edgar Allan Poe and artificial intelligence, and that's that was probably my favorite scene. And Mo, if, if and we can, I think, definitely come back to this in part two as well. But but do you have anything else to add? Up until that point, I felt like I could predict what was going to happen next to an extent. You know, when you're just watching a series, but that. The whole build up to him putting his hand and approving the full customer services or yeah. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't see that coming and I thought that was fucking awesome. It was so violent. <laughs> that was that was a high point of like, yeah, the entire show. Like that might have been the most fun yeah, part. It was pretty badass. But then so we'll I'll get I'll go from there to the low point because then the Captain Ortega or Officer Ortega, is that her name? I think she's Lieutenant Ortega. Lieutenant yeah. Ortega, I'm sorry. I really, really wanted to like her. She's obviously, you know, a Latinx actress with her accent and she's gorgeous and playing a pretty major role, a lead role and being a badass cop. But I'm going to blame it on the writing and not her acting. I agree. I really wish that they wrote her. they, They wrote her to be this just obnoxious female character that just wants is up in everyone's business. But I don't know. I feel like they wrote her in a way to make the male lead seem cool and badass. And she's like, she's annoying. She's kind of needy. She's sneaky. She doesn't get what she wants out of interactions, but he does. And she's like, Hey, don't do all those drugs. And he's like, fuck you. I'm doing drugs. Yeah. They didn't make her edgy or heroic or competent. Yeah. She was just kind of obnoxious. And I, I, that annoyed me because I really wanted to like her and I still do. Like the fact that she's in, she plays the part she does, but. We've talked about on this show that you can usually tell when there's women involved in the writing. In this episode, you kind of can't. Like a woman wrote this. She wrote this. She's the one that wanted to turn the book into a movie. And for her to not represent the main female character better. Yeah, that's like a big time dropping of the ball. Yeah, it's like a female lead. Yeah, and she doesn't have to be likable and she doesn't have to be perfect that doesn't make her a compelling character but she should have been she could have been better rounded you know like she could have been a more complete character and she could have like existed outside of like this role to just enhance you know this super mega assassin bro an example of the poor writing or character buildup was that sexual tension that they try to create between her and takashi it was weird. weird and it was a little weird if she it just felt cheap it deteriorated her role as a strong female lead, and that annoyed me. Yeah, yeah. This isn't a spoiler necessarily, but 
but like there's one point in the series where she's going to walk away from him and then she doesn't and there's no reason for her not to and that and that really hurts her character bad yeah their chemistry is weird drew we have talked a lot about this in our early episodes exposition dumping and actually surprisingly we we haven't seen a lot of exposition dumping in the recent pilots this one there was definitely some dumping yeah that was that was one of my low points i was going to put in this was mega dense and i watched when i was a little bit tired so i kept using that 10 second rewind from netflix (laughs) yeah with the crown it was important because there was a lot of like you know scene setting with this i was just like what happened what happened oh damn it like Jimbo, I agree. There was a lot of telling. And this show had a decent amount of showing. But you can have too much of both. You can have too much showing and too much telling because sometimes you just got to let the story breathe. I think that's what you're getting at here. What do you think? Yeah, and even and even the opening scene, there's like three – this had three different time and places going on in the first whatever five to ten minutes. And that's that's way too confusing, you know, for my taste. It didn't come off as like cool, like cool, I have no idea what's going on. It, it came off more like what the fuck is going on? Yeah, I agree. I, I was it was a clusterfuck for a solid like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was. It wasn't just me and I It was hard to get past the beginning. That's definitely a low point. The visuals made up for it. The the only thing that saved it is it was very cool visuals. And if there's any, you know, middle schoolers out there, there's a lot of tits in this show. So like that's <laughs> gonna be a high point for a young a young audience for sure. There's some there's some male abs and some butts too. There is, there is, you know, yeah. There's a deep V. There's Both a deep sexes. V. Okay, last thing. So there is two plots going on. And I'll just say plot A, I loved. I loved plot A. Plot B is just like, I don't give a shit. Is plot A that guy's backstory and plot B the murder mystery? Yes, exactly. Plot B needed some work because like it was dense. Oh they really gosh. could have leaned more 50-50 and made it kind of more of a conventional murder mystery. You know, and then just kind of like giving some breadcrumbs about that guy's past while still showing some things. But like, yeah, I think like by having it be so heavily invested in the idea and the backstory of the universe as opposed to like the catalyst or what was making it happen. I think you're right, Jimbo. That's an imbalance. The murder mystery in the sci-fi genre mixed together for the book was probably a really cool thing, especially for, you know, to like bring in mystery readers to science fiction or science fiction into mystery readers but for watching it as a television show i definitely don't like the blending of those two genres and it doesn't it doesn't really come off as like a murder mystery show it just seems like a murder mystery plot tossed into a science fiction show all right hoisters and so now we're moving into our most valuable part of the pilot this could be anything on screen off screen or in between and so, Drew, since we almost talked about your MVP, why don't, why don't you start us off? Um, so my MVP was, this was some really cool stylized violence and action. Um, it it definitely was far stronger than anything I see on TV. I think the blending of Netflix having some money to throw at original series and also not being kind of constrained by, um, you know, nudity or violence standards means that this is a really cool serialized show with like R rating stuff, and it's it's better I think than a lot of other sci fi stuff on TV. I thought the the action was a both a high and a low. I think the quality of the action scenes were really good, but I also thought there was a little excessive too. Excessive in what way? Drawn out, too long, 
his whole background getting killed scene, it didn't need to take that long. I mean, we got the point as far as storytelling. It was just a long action scene just for the sake of having a long action scene. I think it was a long action scene that did some things I hadn't seen before, which is kind of what I'm down for at this point in an action scene. The scenes were technically cool. You can obviously tell that the actors trained in. Yeah, they practiced. They, you know, they choreographed. When you talk about it crossing, kind of going a little bit too far, even just when they shoot up everyone and they just riddle people with like 30 million bullets and it's just like blood goring everywhere. That was a little bit excessive. And kind of kill. It felt like Quentin Tarantino or the Kill Bill a little bit. Yeah, and that's just not. It doesn't really fit fit my taste. But like I said, I think a lot of viewers will like the show for that reason. Yeah, it's like a little comic book. Well, it kind of reminded me more of like a John Woo Hong Kong action film style action scenes, which I think are still cool. What was your MVP, Mo? We're kind of all almost in the same vein with the visuals and the special effects, and I really like the scene. When they drive up above the clouds and go to that guy's huge ass mansion and even just the way they're received and the way they kind of do a good job of explaining how society has evolved with describing the books and him being so amazed to even see someone's writing versus whatever they do now to read or obtain knowledge. But I thought the visuals were really cool in that part and also just like the tree in the house and it was just really beautiful and kind of scary at the same time and i liked so i thought that was the coolest part um and that bitch's nipples were just hard as fuck that whole scene yes they were mrs whatever i don't know her name (laughs) the rich white lady mrs barnes yeah that's that's fine we don't need yeah we don't need to know her name (laughs) yeah mo i would agree because like one of the hardest things to do in like a fantasy or a sci-fi show or anything where like it's a ton of computer generated stuff is to like juxtapose a difference between like very rich people and very powerful people and people very not and so i think this scene of them leaving the clouds and finding you know that fancy house uh was effective you know like they clearly differentiated between the haves and the have-nots and sometimes that's hard in like the future shows where like you can just replicate food or do whatever blah 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 like how do you show um the difference in inequalities when it's the future and like values are different or like technology is different. I like that. That's a good MVP. Where you at Jimbo? My favorite part goes back to that intro scene. And it was one of the three during the dream phase. There's, there's a voiceover from Faulkner. Angelica Schuyler. Angelica Schuyler. Sure. So there's, but there, but there's like a Sarah Connor ish voiceover going on. And the words were this, this is not a direct quote but it's all on the lines of like believe nothing uh every you know everything is a you know a misrepresentation misrep- re- and like that like sets the scene for this series in my opinion that it's almost like she's speaking to the viewer like don't believe anything you're about to watch in which is kind of maybe annoying for for some people too but i, I think that makes the show really intriguing the initial voiceover is tough to pull off because sometimes it's like it's a little bit of a warning sign, but I think this one did a nice job being vague enough that that was intriguing, whereas other things were kind of annoying. What do you think, Mo? I don't think I caught everything. It's not a good sign on the show's part. <laughs> and that goes back to the low point we talked about. Too, Too much. much. Like, yeah, the first 15 minutes of this show are deeply confusing, not intriguing, and that guy does not have a lot of, like, charisma when he comes out of his, like, naked man, you know, sleep. All right, so we are about to move in 
to the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. And this is where we're going to announce whether we are going to watch or whether we are going to continue watching this series. What's it going to be, Mo? I feel like I'll watch the next episode. And then this seems like the kind of show, and I've done this before with other shows, where I just might skip to the last episode and see what happens. Are Are you going to put a break in Lost? You know, you're not going to watch. I finished it. You finished I- Lost? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Mo. Well, then, yeah. Oh. So, so Mo's plate is open. <laughs> yeah. Mo needs that new show. Okay. There <laughs> All right. Go. So that's a watch from Mo. Drew? So I'm going to watch this show. Um, I have conflicted feelings about this show. I feel like this is the type of show that people say they want, you know, is in like, oh, it's not a superhero show. Oh, it's complex, you know, sci-fi, which people say they want. But I don't feel like this show really um, captured the zeitgeist or got mega popular. But I will watch this show because this is what I say I want. I say that I want different. And I know it's based on a novel, but this still feels like more original storytelling because... You know, it's just not based around like a superhero or a shared universe or anything right now. So I feel like I should reward this show for not being uh, an extended universe platform. I'm going to watch another episode. What about you, Jimbo? I am not going to watch another episode of this. I could care less about plot B. The things that were working for me were are being overpowered by the things that aren't working for me. That's I fair. would say yeah. that I, I would rather watch this over any of the Marvel series that I haven't watched yet, which is almost all of them besides Daredevil and Punisher. And now hoisters, the moment we've all been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist. And for any new listeners, this is our judgment of the show. And I think we all kind of came into it on the fence, huh? Mm, I'm no longer on the fence after our discussion. All right, start, start us off. Uh, I am hoisting this show. It is a mess in many ways, and the lead is not likable. And they they wrote some of these some of these other characters dirty. So I am hoisting this show. Although I will watch one or two more episodes, but I feel like I'm going to be disappointed by those episodes. I'll watch them anyway. What do you think, Mo? I'm I'm not going to hoist it. I think it is intriguing enough to, and enough money was funneled into this to make it interesting and cool to watch. That I'm not going to hoist it. Okay. Jimbo, you're the deciding factor. Yeah, I'm going to hoist it. I think our part two <laughs> is going to bring up a lot of interesting topics that that might change our, our listeners' minds into whether they want to watch the show or not. Because I think a lot of the most interesting things about this pilot we haven't gotten into yet because we wanted to keep part one spoiler free. So, Jimbo, why don't you announce this? Okay, so by Split Decision, the pilot episode for... Altered Carbon, titled Out of the Past, is hoisted. We haven't hoisted a show in a while. Oh, we have not hoisted a show in a while, yep. Okay, uh, welcome back, Hoistlers. Uh, We are now going to move into part two of our show. We're going to spoil everything in this section. We will spoil everything in section. That's true. Okay. Um, and we'll start off this spoilery section of Filmic Analysis Interpretation with our Crabman Award. For our new listeners, the Crabman Award is a participant in the show, usually a smaller player, you know, with not, not a huge amount of lines, but their contribution is mighty. Traditionally, uh, the Crabman is not 
uh, a member of the main cast, but we've had Crab X Awards, Crab Bureaucrat Awards, Crab, um, you know, lots of crabs, different ones. So, uh, Jimbo, who's your crab man this time? So there was a, just a unanimous crab man, in my opinion. We have um, Kovac is given the opportunity to go roam the town for 24 hours before he decides whether he's going to accept his mission or not. And he runs into a future drug dealer, which is no different than the drug dealer at your local college. He's got his backpack. It's full of drugs. And he's like kind of a, I, I guess, eccentric fella. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he's like the crab man. And like homeboy buys the whole backpack from him and just gets super wasted and wanders around town. And it's because of this crab man. <laughs> that was my choice as well. I love this little drug dealer. I love his future drugs. Like, hey, man, you want some brain grease? You want some zebra skin? You want some fluff? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love that a writer like took the time to write those out. And then the visual effects guy was like, this is what future drugs look like. And then he took them in weird ways, too. He did, like, that eyeball retina spray thing. And I was like, okay, cool. That's, that's future drugs. Jimbo, agree. This is my crab man as well. All right, yeah. That's that's a solid one, guys, because um, I don't want to admit that I like doing drugs, but <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have a friend who really Nothing likes... Nothing wrong with doing drugs, Mo. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got three returned Peace Corps volunteer hippies. So we all have passed Mo, and those drugs looked cool. I was like, what's up with that shiny one? What's that do? What, <laughs> what do you even do with that? I was like, you know, I mean, think about that. You wake up 250 years later, and someone's like, here's a bunch of future drugs. You know, that guy's having a good time. Back in his day, they were just drinking Songfire Tree tea or something. I know, and now the, now he comes to the future, and like, dude, we like freebase the song tree tea <laughs> into our left nostril while we pierce our neck. <laughs> I, I wish there was a little bit more of organic matter in the drugs he was consuming. I wish there was a little bit of that in the future. But that was that's a solid crap, man. Mo, you, you talked about the song plant. You talked about the song tree. Maybe that's what organic drugs Maybe. look like. Maybe. There's just, I feel like... <laughs> that guy was freebasing song tree. There's just no more organic... Yeah, he's just suckling at those little things hanging off the song fire tree or whatever. But... I'm going to throw another candidate for for the crab award, which is the scene or that the old woman that's with Takashi when he's in his new sleeve of skin. And so you don't realize until everyone kind of reunites with their family that's waiting for them in their new sleeves that inside is she's actually a seven year old Asian girl. (laughs) And they just she was hit by a, a I think she was hit by a public transportation or hit by a car and she was given a free sleeve by the government and they gave her the skin of an old woman, an old white woman. It was just so well done and very few was said from that character, but she just executed it really well. And it also finally clicked in my head what the fuck these sleeves were. It was a good visual representation. And when the old lady is like, mommy, don't put me in the dark again. That was <laughs> sad. Yeah, I was sad. It was sad, but a little sick, like dark humor, a little. This could have easily been a high point, and I think we may have got a little on a roll with the low points, but this is one of the aspects of, of world building that I think was really well done. Like, they did not expedition dump this. They showed us, and it was easy to get. 
Like there was a couple comments about religion, which I think we're going to come back to. And then there was some protesters. And then there was like the actual just class disbalancement was like right in your face without having to exposition dump. Like unlike a lot of the other parts of the show. I feel like some Obamacare uh, critics wrote that scene. They're like, look what happens when the government gets control of your health care. Fuck you. (laughs) I mean, there's a little bit of a point to that. Speaking from my own personal experience right now, trying to apply for Medi-Cal. Mo, if you came back as an old white lady, I would still hug you. <laughs> Please, I just shoot me. Just rip out my cortical sack and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mo, I'm going to stick with the drug dealer. I think I I think he just brought too much fun to that to that scene. And that was a great scene. And if honestly, if I was Takashi, I would do the same damn thing. I'd be like, I'm going to go live it up and then go back in under ice. Go get iced. So Jimbo, let's announce this sucker. Mo, you gonna switch? Are we gonna have a unanimous? You're gonna stick with the girl. I'm sticking with her, man. She deserves she deserves to be represented. By split decision, the drug dealer is going home with a Crabman Award. Crabs. Alright, so Jimbo, what's the next segment? Alright, Mo, so now we've we've recently added a literary slash filmic analysis to the show and so we're going to take a look at maybe any plot or characters that we feel deserve to be talked about that we didn't want to spoil for part one. Oh, okay. and, we, and we have a lot we have we have a lot to talk about let me let me ask the group this because i think this is a definite answer and i can't even figure it out so is this a much much better or much much worse version of firefly well based on the pilot it's better <laughs> I think it's better, the pilot. Yeah, I would say the pilot's definitely better than the Firefly pilot, although I would be surprised if the series was better than the Firefly series. But I I think I agree with both of you. I think I like this pilot better than Firefly. I feel like some of the things that this show was good at, like having better effects and like having a bigger budget were things that like kind of dinged Firefly. But I don't know, like, I also found the initial plots as well as some of the characterizations to be pretty similar. How so? Um, Some loner bro, you know, wandering around, being unlikable, despite the show trying to tell you that he is likable. That's mostly it. The protagonists remind me of both shows, except they both kind of have the same issue, which is, I feel like I'm being told to like this person and admire this person when none of their actions or charisma is really getting me to do so. I didn't get that from from Altered Carbon. I didn't feel like they were trying to make me like that guy at all. You mean like him like doing drugs is supposed to make you like him? Or being a tough guy and saying little quips and being independent and telling that rich guy to fuck off and then tell him whatever he'll do it. I don't know. I kind of felt like there was some unearned badass kudos that I just kind of didn't buy. Kovach is supposed to be able to just blend in with the culture and understand like people instantly like languages and everything and there is way too much exposition dumping for him to just understand everything that's going on like he's like in and, may, and maybe that goes back into just the poor writing but his character doesn't really need to waste any time with anyone and he because he's like instantly understands everything based off of his training and that's the only reason he's still alive is because he's a valuable asset well i think like too many things had too many names and groups and clubs like you know the main dude was a mentor but he works for the mess and he's getting like the old book from the thing too many things were named and too many things were referenced out of context like 
that works to a degree, but in this thing, I was just like, what? What? When did they talk about that? You know what I mean? His envoy intuition. That got explained quickly, and they got relied upon way too much. I agree with Jimbo on that being kind of annoying. Yeah, what do you want to talk about the Raven Hotel? Kind of feel like a dum dum because I'm I'm just realizing that it was an Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> but I guess that makes sense. Was the was the concierge's name Al? I'm not sure if they reference his name. I think the cast refers to him as Poe. Oh, they do. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know if I picked up on that. Yeah, so there. Well, well, there was a cool there. There was some cool stuff going on with that. And in fact, maybe I should look up the the exact words. But but Ortega tries to warn Kovac about going there, and she she says, you know, like this place has been out of business for two hundred and fifty years or some some ridiculous amount of time. It's all AI, and she says they're like stalkers. They're so hardwired. They're hardwired yeah, what, to seek out guests or something like that. Yeah, okay, I, they're, I hard, they're yeah, they're hardwired to seek out guests and they're like stalkers. So like everyone in the future has avoided this place. But homeboy is just like I don't give a shit, like that's where I'm going. I'm getting super high <laughs> and I'm going there. And I'm going to get a stalker. <laughs> and actually that saves his ass. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I know, I wonder if the other hotels provide those same services. Of like we will just slaughter whoever. <laughs> Mo, the only reason I knew it was Edgar Allan Poe was because I did research and wrote the Petard trivia questions. They kept referencing Poe, and I was like... I you guys don't know what he looks like. Name. The guy looks just like him. He does. Yeah, I I did. Now it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it clicked when I read that, but it's not like I like know what literary figures look like. That's not even true, actually, because I took a selfie of myself because there was a dude who looked like Mark Twain in the background, but I was too much of a wuss to ask him to take a picture with me, so I did that thing where like you selfie with your face and the top right hand corner but then you also get the back left and i was like i tried really hard so actually fuck that jimbo yeah i should know what literary people look like because i geeked out about a dude who looked like mark twain well edgar Allan poe's just way too famous not to have an idea of what he looks like his face is on t-shirts it's all over the place all right then so so hoistlers we are now entering quest for the best territory sometimes by our more vulgar hoistlers and hosts it's called the put it anywhere and thus far we have ranked 38 pilots with number one being end of the effing world and number 38 being Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which apparently people are coming back and listening to. So that was an early episode that my quality is bad. I'm sorry. And you can go on our website and look at this list. It's live. But the end of the effing world is cool. You should watch that. I personally liked it better than Law and Order SVU, Freaks and Geeks, Dawson's Creek. I liked it better than Boy Meets World. Jimbo, you know I love to put shows above Married with Children. I would say it's equal to Lost in my viewing pleasure. Where are you at, Mo? It's not better than Lost. I'm going way lower than you guys because I liked Dawson's Creek as a pilot more than this. This was just so confusing in the beginning. And Jimbo's right. Like, there's a major component of the story that I just don't give a shit about. And then, Mo, you know, you're right, too, because that character, like, the secondary character, Lieutenant Ortega, is just shit on. All right, I'd go below Dawson. I I would like to go below Dawson, because, like, I think it's better than Cloak and Dagger, but I just, I had more fun with Dawson's Creek. Okay, so this one was at least not boring. Put it anywhere, guys. (laughs) All right, coming in at number 27. Above Cloak and Dagger, below Dawson's Creek, you guys are forgetting how awesome Joey is. 
Jimbo, why don't you take us into part three of this show? All right, horses. Now for part three, we're going to step outside the pilot, and we're going to just talk about anything that interests us in the pilot, but our conversation is no longer going to stay within the confinements of that pilot. And so to the stage... Stormy Daniels, dangling threads of interest. And I think I think this show does have a lot to dangle because there is there is a lot of cool concepts being addressed. Drew, start us off. So I think one of the main themes of this show that I thought was interesting was like the idea of temporality. You know, like the extreme violence that's exhibited is kind of like not as impactful because we kind of know that people are going to come back from death. Um, so, I mean, kind of the big question that the show raises is if nothing is permanent, does anything matter? I found two philosophers who are pretty cool, like pre Aristotle ones with different ideas. The first one is Heraclitus, not Plato said that you never step in the same river twice, basically saying that like change is the only constant in life. And his contemporary who disagreed was a guy named Parmenides. Um, and he said that absolute change is impossible and unthinkable by nature. Everything must be permanent. So, I mean, my question to you guys is, like, where do you kind of stand on this? Like, is change a constancy or is change not a reality? And then what do you think the creators would support? What do you think, Mo? So, I'm trying to, like, grasp all this philosophy you're throwing my way right now. Rivers. <laughs> yeah. Parmenides says absolute change is impossible, mm-hmm. which altered carbon does reflect, right? It would support that. I think in some ways But the psychosis does. and the hallucinations, it's supporting that, that drastic change like that is not sustainable for a human psyche or even that the changes that takashi tried to make 250 years before he die or before he comes back don't make a difference in the future i think it works on those two levels my thoughts on change are that they are change is always inevitable as far as it being meaningful or not that's super personal i think i think that might it might not last for five generations but it'll last a couple I think certain change is substantial enough to make an impact on at least a couple generations. I mean, I think we could dedicate a whole podcast to just unpacking yeah. what absolute change versus constant in life. You know, I think I think those two terms we could talk about for a long time. Well, what do you think, Jimbo? Do you think this show is like pro change or pro permanence? I I didn't see either. I think it portrays us permanence of people in power will always step on the backs of people that are disenfranchised and it which it's kind of a cynical bleak view of the future which is that the good guys won't win it didn't really show that in in the pilot and so now we're kind of bouncing back to part two i mean it showed that there's definitely class so i think in that case it's in it's insinuating that there's always going to be class struggles but it's not necessarily saying that the people that have been disenfranchised have always been disenfranchised. I didn't see that at all in the pilot. The people protesting didn't appear to be of a of a disenfranchised group. They were like a religious group, more questioning the idea of whether whether yeah. we have the right to bring people back from the death or from death or not. So in that case, if we want to talk about change in the sense of of one person's lifespan, that's more like what the the series might grapple with in the future is this idea that not everyone has that option to come back. It's only it's only a privilege to rich people. Like the yeah, the one girl got to come back because the government decided that she was killed in an accident or something. But it's very it's very clear that rich people have a lot more access to this to this privilege than poor people. Which is saying that society will always have 
these divides, no matter how far technology takes us and no matter how much, you know what I mean? Like no matter how much we can invent things like bringing people back from the dead, there will always be those that can access that and can't. Yeah, I would, I would agree with, with that, Mo. That's a permanence. So that would, that, that would be more with, there's not absolute change, but I think if we looked at their societies, I mean, Kovacs is never stepping in the same society. I feel like both those quotes work for this episode. I think it's interesting because I think Parmenides is definitely taking like the view of like, even before they knew like the vastness of the universe, I think of the constancy in terms of like millennia. I mean, I know people and I definitely don't want to like make the world a worse place for future generations. But also I try and think of like the entirety of like humanity as like a dominant species versus the age of the earth and like and then in like the long term when our sun is just gonna like explode eventually and it kind of makes you sad to be like man like we're totally fucking up this planet but our age of dominance is so tiny in comparison to like the rest of the universe i mean there's been other things that fucked up the planet too <laughs> the planet doesn't care dude we're more fucking I know, that's ourselves the thing up. man the planet yeah. the planet's gonna <laughs> go on like if we had nuclear winter tomorrow the planet would kind of just be fine in like 400 years. Well, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I shouldn't say 400 years. But if it's like a thousand, the planet will still be here. We just won't be. Okay. So then Jimbo, are you personally, are you a Permanidius or are you a Heraclitus? I'm definitely a Heraclitus. I, I think uh, me personally, I've changed so much throughout my life. Now we could maybe argue that about absolute change, I guess. Was I, am I really a different person? I mean, I would say that every day you wake up, you're a different person. What about you, Mel? Yeah, I'm more Her- Heraclides. I think people that are more adaptable are, like to make it more Darwinian, I think people that are more adaptable and easy with change are more evolved. I mean, you know, like a growth mindset thing. Cool. Well, I I would also add, just to make this even a little deeper down the rabbit hole, I don't really, I actually, in the grand scheme of things, I think of time more like space and that everything that's already happened has already happened and we don't, we can't actually do anything about what's going to happen. We just haven't experienced it yet. So in that case, I guess I would maybe believe in the impossibility and the unthinkability of, of change. I had like a really interesting, like almost like relativistic like thought when I was in Mozambique, like when we were on Peace Corps, because like I would write these letters on my on my laptop at my house, like on a Sunday, but then I wouldn't go into town until Wednesday to get internet and like send some emails. But I still had the feeling on Sunday of like anticipating what the people who I would send letters to would say. So in that way, Jimbo, I kind of identify a little bit with that idea of like space and time being like a flat plane as opposed to like a linear line. You know, that was a, that was a, that was a dusty rabbit hole. To throw back to Lost, uh, the philosophy in Lost is that time is not linear. Do you believe that, Mo? Yes. I don't know. I mean, I think it's an interesting storytelling device, but I, I don't, when people get down to the bare bones of explaining like time that way, I always lose it. I'm sure that smart people get it. I don't. Yeah, I'm not smart enough to explain it. Well, we could even talk about time being just an illusion created by people as well. I mean, is it? Because the passage of time is like a physical experience. Like we measure it via like rotations around the Earth. Yeah, that's the illusion. How's that an illusion? That's the illusion, though. Hmm. I think it's us setting an importance, 
But I don't think like the physical movement of the earth is an illusion in terms of the passage of time, even though the passage of time is a human construct. Well, there's been an evolutionary advantage to humans viewing time in this chronological order. If there wasn't, we wouldn't experience it at all. I would say that's more along the lines of like human beings being better at ordering and like noticing patterns. Because I think the passage of time is a huge pattern recognition um, construct. People that are actually qualified to talk about this, I think there's debate over it. And I think people can make strong arguments for time being a illusion as far as in the in the physics sense. Okay, that's cool. Sorry, Hoisters, none of us are qualified to participate in this debate, but go and look it up. There's definitely some leading physicists that talk about time not existing. And if you listen to our if you listen to our podcast, you should call in, man. Or lady. You know, man in the generic sense, but still gendered. Since I brought it up, I, I will reference the uh, book that I'm finding. I'll go and find it, and I'll put it in the petardar. What else? What else is dangling out there? I kind of may want to talk about dead people's rights and the religion aspect, possibly, or even the terrorists. Any of those things interest anyone else but me? Were you going to say that too, Drew? That talking about the dead? Yes, I was. What are your thoughts, Mo? I liked the subtle references to it and obviously stating how Catholics were not down and so they couldn't be resleeved uh, when they died. But it kind of dove into it. I don't know. It was a weird direction when the protesters were had like their skull faces. Was that supposed to be like a Catholic Dia de los Muertos thing? It, kind of, it felt like that. And I don't know. It just felt. Yeah, it did. It felt weird to me. Which might be a whole nother separate dangle of appropriation. But I think it is appropriate because they are talking about literally dead people who... I Don't they have paperwork where you can say, I want to be brought back? I want to be resleeved or not? Yeah, I mean, I get... Well, but I mean, I think... But I mean, that reminds me of like people who go to abortion clinics like and protest. Like, they're not getting abortions, but they also want other people to not get it too. So maybe those people are kind of like abortion protesters. Like, it's not enough that like they don't do something. Yeah, that's exactly what they're like. It's not that they personally don't want it. It's that they don't think it should be an option. That's what I thought. That's what I was like perceiving. That's what I also took away. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think, would you want to be brought back to life in a new skin? Yeah. To dangle a little more. I think in the future, people are going to be able to decide when and how they die. I think, I think a lot of aspects of aging, we will find a cure for. And at some point in someone's life, they'll decide whether they want to die or not, unless it's like a, a physical accident, kind, kind of like how, how the show represents it, where you, there's ways you can die, but as long as your as your stack is intact, then you could potentially live on. And just look at an old person. Why wouldn't you want to take on a new, younger body, unless you're ready to die? I'm kind of the opposite way, Jimbo. I'm kind of with like the Parmenides on this one, because I think that like the message of the show is that when you remove the temporality, when things aren't permanent, everything just becomes cheaper and kind of shittier, you know? Like, it's kind of like when you, like, put a cheat mode on a video game. Like, if you know that, like, you can always get the weapons back in Grand Theft Auto, you kind of just stop playing the missions, and then you're like, I'll do something else. Like, it's a student, like, they'll they'll ask me, like, questions where I'm like, hey, just ask me, like, adult questions. And one kid always asks me what the meaning of life is. And I'm like, it ends, you know? Like, there's a stopping point. Like, this is whatever today is like today is august 14th 2018 and there'll never be another one so whatever you chose to do today you'll never get the chance to do again and i think that adds like the specialness 
So I think that like being able to come back in a sleeve would kind of cheapen human experience, which is maybe why that dude just like bought a bunch of future drugs and decided to get high and, you know, then kill himself 24 hours later. Yeah, but that's easy for a young man to say, Drew. Let's see what you say when you're closer to death. We're all close to death, Jimbo. We still know it. I think you know what I meant. I do know what you mean. I hope that I live a life where I'll still feel this way in 60 years. But like, that's my point is, is right now we don't, we don't really have a choice over when we die. So we don't really have the right to choose. I think, I think if I had the right to choose, I could live my life. And when I decided that I was living with cheat codes and that life was no longer meaningless, I could decide and choose to end my life. I would definitely do that. If there was a way to cure the disease of aging, I would definitely take it. I think you'd be taking the cheat code when you make that decision. It wouldn't be like eventually it would be that moment. And I feel like it would be meaningless then. Well, we'll we'll have to wait and find out, man. We'll see. Where are you at, Mo? I don't know. This is hard. I get I get both of your arguments, but I do think that Drew, your point of life and humanity diminishing when you can live an infinite level of lives is true. It almost becomes like an addiction of wanting to just keep reincarnating in a way, and also the social aspects and of how come I can choose to be reborn into a younger body and this other person can't i would almost not want to do it in solidarity but that's pretty i don't know that would be hard to do too that's hard because like jimbo why do you think that you would automatically just get a younger body you would have to have like hella money to do that Uh, i'm saying if it was the option if i was 85 years old tomorrow and someone offered me a 20 year old body unless i was unless there was nothing else i wanted to do in life i would take it now, granted, over the course, o- over the next 30 or 50 years of my life, I might change my perspective. But as of right now, I think I would love to have more than one life to live. There's just so much to do in life. There's so many things that I wish I could do. There's so many careers that I would love to pursue. And to be limited to one life, to me, is, I think, maybe one of the tragedies of being human. Maybe not a tra Whatever. I-, I think anyone listening has an idea of what I'm talking about. Do you think that we would get more accomplished? In multiple lifetimes? More fulfilled. Or do you think people will just work slower because they assume that they can live again? I think it depends on the person. Yeah, I mean, there's there's innumerable millions of people who they live their lives, and I'm sure they're kind and good to the people around them, but they're by no means extraordinary. You know, I mean, people do live quiet lives that make themselves and other people happy, but I don't necessarily think that, like, living a long time is going to make you more accomplished or give you more time to do those things. People still do great things sometimes in relatively short periods because they might die young, like almost everyone from like pre 1870s who like died in like their sixties. Like there's still a lot of very interesting and cool things that happened even when people were like dying in their forties. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to deny that, but I've read books on physics and I think to myself, Oh, it'd be so cool to pursue like a career in physics and i've read books on economists you know economy oh it'd be awesome to be an economy like there's i'm pretty much interested in almost everything i read a book about and if you could live a really long time you could actually do all those careers like instead of having to choose like the one career path you could have multiple career paths and you could people today most people do not have that privilege some some people do but i think this is what the show is is talking about not everyone's going to have that privilege regardless of what scientific breakthroughs we have because it's always going to come back to access to opportunities. So there you go, man. Parmenides, he was right. 
there is no change. The dude's probably a downer. People probably didn't like hanging out with him. His <laughs> wife secretly resented him. No, but I wouldn't say that that doesn't mean that there's there can't be change. There's still... Depends on how he defines change. Like, are they talking about human nature or something? Or is he actually talking about... Because, I mean, I think maybe like a physicist would, would agree with him. So, Parmenides had this statement that just said that change was the canceling out of concepts. And he said that, like, either you believe that existence is being or non-being. And so, he kind of didn't allow for the idea of change to exist within our physical state. Because either we are change or we're not. He didn't think there was an in-between. And he decided that we weren't. That's as, that's as far as my research went. I've found that most people that are really rigid about their beliefs are usually wrong. So I'll say he's wrong. The rigidness of your denial of rigidness seems quite rigid, Jimbo. <laughs> so I'm also probably wrong. We're both wrong. So, you know, obviously. But my wrongness is probably a little more accurate than his. But granted, I have I have so much more collective knowledge than he had access to. So now we're going to jump into our Pitardar. Um, these are recommendations for listeners based on pilots. Uh, either your viewing experience, something you thought about, something you think people might enjoy, just about anything. And I'll kind of start things off. Um, there's a new, relatively new young adult novel. I think it came out within the last 18 months called Sides. And it is about another um, future world where they have eliminated death. And so basically people can recycle their bodies, not like sleeves, but they can just dial it back like 65 years or something. And so people have these huge families, kids like kill themselves. They call themselves splats. They'll jump off buildings because they know they can just get brought back. It's a world that has kind of eliminated um, social inequalities, but there are these people in the world called sides and they kill people and they do so based on like 20th century, like norms. But it's also an interesting concept that um, reminded me a bit of altered carbon. The ending is not satisfying. But it's a it's a trilogy, so you know there's going to be a sequel. What about you guys? Well, I definitely have to throw it out to Terminator 1 and 2 for uh, my Sarah Connor reference earlier. And the Matrix trilogy. I think those two are my favorite dystopias and post-apocalyptic. Which I guess this show didn't necessarily get post-apocalyptic. But, but those two, I think, are, are my favorite. Like, watch out for the future in technology. And then I have one more. What happened to Monday is a I think it's a Netflix original movie, but it's it's an action movie. It's a suspense, and I think it's extremely well done. Great story, and if you haven't seen it yet, you need to go watch What Happened to Monday. Mo, there's an episode of Black Mirror. It's in the second season called San Junipero. That kind of talks about it touches on the same themes as Altered Carbon does with infinite life. And it's really great, and I don't want to spoil it, so I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, listeners, and so now we're going to move into Petard Trivia. This is part four. This is the fun part of the show. And Drew is going to host Petard Trivia this week, and Mo and I are going to battle for that, try and work our way up to number one contender so that we can try and bring the Petard belt home to the Pilots and Petards podcast. Drew is going to host Petard Trivia this week. I am going to host Petard Trivia this week. It's harder than it looks, Jimbo. And so Jimbo's buzzer is going to sound like... Woo, woo. <laughs> nice. Mo, uh, what's your buzzer sound like? Buzz. Nice. Okay, so I have five questions here. 
Um, they are either multiple choice or fill in the blank. There are no asshole um, prices right questions. The first question is multiple choice. The city where the pilot primarily takes place is based on a present day city. What city is Bay, it buzz. based on? A. Oh, fuck. Oh, you buzzing? <laughs> Mo, you buzz? I did, but can I take it back? It's not how it's not how the game works, Mo. You can't you can't step in that river twice. I'm gonna guess Shanghai. Okay. Since I can't, Jimbo, you want to jump in and steal this? I'll take the choices, yeah. man. Okay. So, Mo. The city where the pilot primarily takes place is based on a present-day city. What city is it based on? A, San Francisco, B, Atlanta, C, London, or D, Sydney? Woot, woot. I'm going to say A, San Francisco. Jimbo, you taking Damn the lead? It. There was all the, there was like the Asian writing, and I thought maybe. But. This is why I, I don't give multiple choice questions on, on such easy answers, because Mo, Mo, well, actually, Mo didn't know the answer. It was... Bay City, Mo, is San Francisco. Come on, man. Alcatraz. Oh, right. You're clouds. so right. Yeah, it did take place in Alcatraz. Look, I forgot about it. Ugh, dumb. It's okay. All right, number two. This, actually, I had to hold my tongue on because this came up during the show, but what Avengers star has been tapped as the new star of season two, Altered Carbon? A, Sebastian Stan, who plays the Winter Soldier. B, Anthony Mackie, the Falcon. C, Mark Ruffalo, the Hulk, or D, Dave, uh, what do you got, Jimbo? B, uh, the Falcon. You are correct. So yeah, no, the lead in season two is totally just going to be a black guy. So Jimbo, you were talking about that, whether they're going to mix the race of that dude, and they are. Okay. Uh, Mo, luckily, question three is worth two points. It is also two parts. So first part. What is the full and technical name of the device that allows people to hop bodies? Second bonus point, where is it located? Buzz. Oh, that was Mo. Mo, technical name? Cortical sac. Where is it located? And it's located at the base of your brain. I will accept those answers. It's all tied up, Jimbo. Nice. What are the correct answers? What? Uh, cor- Those are right. Cor- cortical sac. And I, I would have said the top of the spine, which is technically the base of the brain. Yeah. And they said the, the they said base of your brain. Yeah. Before. So there, there comes on, there's some answers. Because it's probably in between. I would have guessed the, the vertebrae involved, but that's okay. Oh, oh, Jimbo, is it a little frustrating when you don't agree with the judgment of the questioner? I agree just fine. I was just curious what, what the answer okay. was. All right. All right. All right. Number four. And it's all tied up. It's all tied up, folks. Who's going to go up against Jacob from the Punisher body count? Number four. This is multiple choice. The budget for the first season, that's the first 10 episodes of Altered Carbon, exceeded the budget of how many seasons of HBO's Game of Thrones? So the total budget of the only season of Altered Carbon exceeded how many seasons of HBO's Game of Thrones? A, the first two seasons. B, the first three seasons. C, the first four seasons, or D, the entire seven-episode final season? <laughs> woo, woo. I'm, I'm going to let you guess. <laughs> Get in there, Jimbo. Um, I'll, I'll go with D. The final season, you are incorrect. Uh, okay. So the other options are the first season, the f- first two seasons. A, B, or C. The first two seasons, the first three seasons, or the first four seasons? Yes. Okay. 
the later seasons of GOT, like, step it up. I'm going to say the first two. You're both incorrect, and there are no points awarded. It is the first three seasons. Damn, I was almost going to say that. So this is why closest answer, you know, comes in there and gets a point. You know, it's easy to to award, award a point that those mm-hmm. closest answers. Jimbo, we're going for what's right, not what's easy. Okay. So <laughs> last question. And in this instance, Jimbo, I did go for closest answer. So here Ooh. we go. Okay. Um, this is interesting because we talked about this. Before the show started, the star Joel Kinnaman had a major cosmetic surgery to correct a body part or body area. What was the area or part? Closest answer will win. <laughs> this is the guy who plays the main Corset, dude. Corvac. Yep. The main white guy. Woo, woo. Buzz. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to guess. You, you said it, man. What is oh. it? Jimbo. Is oh, Jimbo got in before me. I heard Mo buzz too, man. I'll say, um, I'll say he had surgery on his his eye, on his eye. All right, Mo. I'm gonna say his nose. So here's the thing. I'm gonna have to give that to Mo because <laughs> Joel Kinnaman actually had extensive reconstructive surgery on his chest. So listen to this. Nice. To correct his pectus exta- excavatum condition, Kinnaman's chest had two metal bars inserted through his ribs into his chest. The, the bars f- were then shaped and expanded in such a way that they pushed his chest out and then were affixed to his ribs to keep them in place. So he had a chest job. Nice. And it looked great. It looked really good. Good for him. But was it purely cosmetic? Yes, it was purely cosmetic. He did not need it for any type of reason except that this wow. was a part where he had to like leave his shirt off. Wow. And he actually said in interviews he was felt really good because every single episode apparently included him in some state of undress where he frequently showed his front pectoral area as well as his butt. And he felt really good about it. So good job being body positive, Joel Kinnaman. Just when you think that dude couldn't be any more of a bro of a dude bro. I know. Like just go to the gym. He's not body positive because I think. Well, I think it's a medical condition, Mo. I've seen people who have, like, that concave chest thing. Oh. I don't think... Because it's, like, a bone thing. You just said it was for aesthetics. Yeah. Well, I know, but I'm just saying I, I don't think it's the kind of thing where you go to the gym and, like, pack on a bunch of muscle. I think it is, like, you have to have it corrected. But I, I it doesn't impact his health. Yeah, you don't have to have it corrected. Yeah, I know, but it's also not the type of thing where you can, like, just fix it through your own self-determination. I have like, a big nose. I can't just make it small by, like, squinting my eyes. Yeah, I'd have to go and get a nose job. It doesn't mean I have to get a nose job to fix it. Well, I know, but you also can't go to the gym and have your nose do curls and have it get more toned. You know, like, it, it kind of Yeah, that's my is, point, dude. It's a little vain. It's a little vain. He's an actor. It's his craft. But okay. We got a lot of Joel Kinnaman resentment going on in the cast Yeah, definitely. Today. All right, congratulations, Mo, stepping up. There you go, Mo. Wow, there you go, Mo. I I wasn't. This is unexpected. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I even watched the pilot twice. Nice. Oh, um, Jimbo. Well, you got that. You got that San Francisco question right. I should have got that one though. I. <laughs> so we got some plugs. All right, what do you got, Jimbo? Our official intro-outro music was mixed by Jake Drew. 
and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You can join our Facebook group. If you're listening, go join our Facebook group. This is going to be another place for people that are already on Facebook to interact. I'm going to actually open up the Facebook group for pre-recording discussion as well for now on. And all listeners, we would appreciate feedback. We have a four-part episode. We're going to mess with this for a while. If there's a part that you don't like, and if we get enough feedback, we can remove a part. We are going a bit long on these episodes. so uh, We've also joined the But Why Though podcast network, and I have some movie reviews up on that website too. Go check them out, or if you found us through them, thanks for finding us. Uh, every day I'm hoistling. Drew out. Every day we hoistling. Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling. Mo out.